You ever wondered why you are on this planet? I know I have. Today we're going to start a study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in this letter, we're going to make some discoveries about God's plan, not only for your life, but also for the life of the church. And, and not only for the life of the church, but really for the life of the entire universe. Now, just to give you a little context, Ephesus was the fourth largest a city in the empire in the first century. And it was located on the Aegean coast uh, where western Turkey is today. And Paul is writing this letter uh, from a Roman prison. Hence it is included in one of the, uh, what's called the prison epistles. And it was written, we believe, around, one, uh, around 61 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, Paul first visited um, the city in A.D. 53, uh, began preaching the gospel. And the message spread, and, uh, and the Jesus movement begins uh, in that city. But it runs quickly into opposition, a lot of opposition. But Paul, nevertheless, spends about two years there organizing the church, uh, teaching the faith, and then he left uh, for the next part of his journey into Greece and Macedonia. The letter is kind of divided into two sections. Uh, sections uh, 1 through 3, or chapters 1 through 3, Paul explains some key theological concepts about Christ and the church. He addresses issues like salvation uh, by grace through faith, um, Jesus' power and authority, and the importance of unity in the body of Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 feel very different. Uh, Paul tells us really how to live that out. How do we live then uh, the Christian life and what, we, and what we as the church are to do in the light of what we discovered in the first three chapters of, of who God is? And the main theme is the person of Christ in the church. The church is God's creation. It is God's plan for changing the world. So buckle your seatbelts. Uh, the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to really be flying through this very first chapter. But the first thing that Paul wants us to know is, is that when we work with unity of purpose, that's when God uses us. That, that the power of God is upon us, and the good news is taught, and people are saved, and they begin to grow in Christ. And Paul says that when we are of one accord, focusing on God's purpose and on God's plan for our lives and for our church, then unity isn't just possible. Unity is an absolute certainty. And while God's purpose and plan for each person's life is going to be different, God brings us together as the church so that we can accomplish his overall purpose and his plan in the world. You see, Paul tells us that the church and the relationships that we have, first in our relationship with God and then, and then also the relationships we have with each other, is not only where we learn to be fully devoted followers of Christ, but it's also where we learn to be better parents it's where we learn to be happily married. It's where we learn to be satisfied in our work, in our jobs. And we'll talk about that in chapters 4 through 6. In other words, the Christian life is not just about what you believe. It's, just not, a, it's not just assenting to certain core doctrines. It's really about relationships. It's about belonging. And Paul begins by reminding the Ephesians of all the blessings that come 
from their relationship with Christ. And you will notice a lot of enthusiasm on Paul's part. So let's hear God's word, chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, all to the praise of his glory. Wow. So the first thing that Paul mentions after a word of praise to the Father is that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now that word blessing in the Greek is eulogy. You're familiar with that. It means to speak a a good word or to speak well of. And so Paul is using it here to mean that God is speaking a good word over us, over you and me. And then the following verses, Paul lists what those blessings are. I want to I wanna go over those today, and, and there's a number of them. So there's, I have a number of points in my sermon. Um, usually my sermons are pointless, but um, today I have a number of points that I want to go over with you. And I think we need to know that as believers. We need to know what our inheritance is as the children of God. Our confirmands who have joined today, they need to know what those things are. It would be a shame, I think, to go through your entire Christian life and not know what your spiritual blessings are that your Heavenly Father has granted you as a child of God. See, a lot comes with it. A lot comes with that inheritance. Uh, my, my parents and grandparents were, were well known in my little town because they were elected officials. And sometimes letting people know who my dad was um, got me into places. Uh, sometimes it got me out of trouble, you know, a little name dropping sometimes. Before the days of credit cards, and yes, I'm that old, I could walk into uh, almost any store in Athens and buy something and not pay for it. I would just say, put that on Bill Rowland's account, and they would do it. I know it seems hard to believe, but that's the way things used to operate. So there was blessings, there was a benefit of being Bill's boy. 
But we have blessings from being God's son or daughter. And here's the first one. It says, you are chosen. Verse four. We are chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Isn't that amazing? God chose you. God had you in mind before the world was even created. God created you in his image. You are no accident. You are no random mutation. The Bible teaches very clearly that God has never made anything without a purpose. Proverbs 16, the Lord has made everything for his own purpose. Everything. There's nothing that you see that God uh, created that he'd say, well, you know, I really didn't have a purpose for that. You know, God wasn't going off scratching. You know, what did I make that for? Why, why did I create mosquitoes? Somebody remind me. I can't remember. No, God, everything he created for a purpose, which means if your heart is beating today, you're not an accident. And regardless of the circumstances of your birth, you're not an accident. Maybe your parents didn't plan you, but God did. And if you're alive, he has uh, chosen you for a purpose and a reason for your existence. You're not an accident. Now, sometimes we're not aware of that. Sometimes we limp through life week after week, month after month, year after year. We just, we just kind of drift. Like Job wrote, he said, my life drags by day after a hopeless day. I'm tired of living. My life makes no sense. You ever feel that way? I know I have. But discover your personal purpose in life. And when you do that, it motivates you in the morning to get out of bed. You'll have a different attitude when you get up. See, when, when you wake up in the morning, you can either say, good morning, Lord, or you can say, good Lord, it's morning, you know? <laughs> it's your choice. It's your decision. Knowing that you're created by God gives you that excitement, that passion. See, part, that's the difference. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a purpose in life? You see, the secret of energy, the secret of enthusiasm and motivation is to discover your life purpose. Because having purpose gives you hope, and everybody needs hope to keep going. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, the plans are for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a what? And a hope. We need hope. We need hope to cope. That's where you get enthusiasm for life. And when you discover why God put you on this earth, your motivation level is going to go up exponentially. You were designed by God to love and to be loved. You were designed by God to be in this intimate love relationship with him, to know him, to worship him, and to do his will. But that's not all. Paul also says that we're adopted. Verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. So not only God, has God chosen us to be made holy, but he grants us the full status as his children with all the benefits and blessings. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when we believe the gospel, when we embrace our faith, we receive full access to the Father. We are able to call out to him as his children. Now notice that he chooses us in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, God has adopted us into his family because, get this, it made him happy. 
It was a part of his will. It was a part of his pleasure. Now, sometimes we think of God as this, this grumpy old cosmic force who's ready to pounce on us the moment that we mess up. But Paul is telling us in Ephesians, that's not so. That it's God's pleasure, his will, to bring us into his family. You know, so many of us, we have our identity elsewhere. You know, maybe, you know, maybe your identity is in your career, your job. But what are you going to do when you retire? <laughs> what am I going to do when I retire? I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> what if you're a successful business person and suddenly your company decides to downsize? Do you go from being a, a somebody now to a nobody? Do you have no identity? You see, your identity should not hinge on the business climate. What if your identity all along has been as a parent? And suddenly that last child leaves home. And you're wondering, who am I now? See, Paul says your identity is in the fact that you are a child of God. That you have a purpose. You ever been dumped? Ever been dumped by a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Ever been dumped by a spouse? Ever been uh, dumped by a company that no longer needs you anymore? You know what that's like. To be rejected like that. Well, Paul is saying to us, you belong. You will never be rejected by God our Father. He has adopted you as one of his own. God in Christ, listen, became one of us, paid the price of suffering and death in order to adopt us. And all we have to do to enjoy this, this divine parentage to become heirs of this eternal life is to become like little children and to receive this adoption. We join the family of God through adoption and baptism is the passageway into that family. We do not earn it. We do not merit it. We simply receive it as a gift. Salvation is not for good people. <laughs> Salvation is for redeemed people. There's a reason why Christians use the term relationship with God. There's something about being the precious, prized daughter or son of God. Your most defining moments in life are not what happened to you, but what God has done for you. But that's not all. A third blessing, Paul says, is redemption. Verse 7, we are told we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, by redemption, what Paul means is he's speaking of a buying one's freedom, of paying a, a ransom. He's saying that the price for our sins, the, the payment to buy us back from slavery to sin was simply the blood of Christ. Paul wants us to know that Jesus paid for us. And so when Paul uses the term, in him we have redemption through his blood, he's saying that the adoption program that God used wasn't money. It was when Jesus hung on the cross. And in that moment, he was paying the adoption cost to bring us into the family. We have been redeemed, folks. Someone else picked up the bill for you and me. And that happened on the cross. Someone else picked up a bill for Mark Rowland that I could never, ever hope to pay myself. And he did it for us. And his name is Jesus. And so Christianity is not about doing enough for God so that he finally likes you. 
God buys us. God redeems us through the blood that he shed on the cross. But that's not all. We are sealed. Verse 13, Paul writes, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what's Paul talking about? A seal. Well, the seal was the mark of ownership. In the old days, you would make a a seal with melted wax into which you would press your family ring or crest. And when that wax dried, it made a seal. And it said that that document belonged to you. It showed ownership. So Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit in us testifies that we belong to Christ. Paul makes this clear in in, in Romans 8.15. He says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And so it's the Holy Spirit in us who constantly and consistently reminds us, you belong to me. You are mine. You are my child. You never have to doubt it. And so the other night when you were watching that beautiful sunset and you saw all the colors of blue and, and pink and orange and at that moment you knew that, that, that God created all of this and it was the Holy Spirit who was whispering to you, you are mine. Or that time when, when life wasn't going as planned and, and you were feeling confused and frustrated and the way forward just seemed so ambiguous. It was the Holy Spirit who was whispering to you in that moment, you are mine. Or on that day when you laid your loved one in, into the ground and you were crushed and brokenhearted, but through the tears you heard him saying to you, you are mine. We belong to him. We are part of his family. And Paul goes on. And he says, not only does the Holy Spirit remind us that we're his, but the Holy Spirit is also the pledge of our future inheritance. He says, the Holy Spirit serves to remind us that not only are there blessings in Christ here and now, but there are more blessings yet to come. My friends, we are at the center of God's cosmic design because we belong to the risen Lord who is exalted over all the heavenlies. God's got this. And then he moves on, starting verse 15. He moves from from the blessings that are ours in Christ to a prayer for all the Christians at Ephesus. Let's hear the prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people 
and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. My friends, when you begin to understand what Paul is saying here, you're going to get excited. Paul wants you to know. He wants you to have that wisdom and revelation. He wants you to have the hope to know the hope that you have. He wants you to know all of your inheritance as incomparably great power. And he wants us to know that this power is ours and it's the same power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead and put him far above all others. You may remember that after his resurrection, but before his ascension, Jesus reminded his disciples several times that this was not the end, that he had a mission for them, and they were to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth with the gospel. But he said, don't leave yet. I want you to stay in Jerusalem because in a, in a few days you're going you're, you're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And so the disciples wait. The day of Pentecost comes. Holy Spirit is released upon the church. Peter stands up before a crowd and he preaches for the very first time and 3,000 people come to faith on that day. The church is born. Then things begin to happen. Read through the book of Acts. and in, in, uh, in chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame man. And then in chapter 5, Luke records the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And, and miracle after wonder after signs continue to take place. I mean, the church is picking up where Jesus left off. They are carrying on the same ministry that Jesus had when he walked on earth. And you and I have been given the same power and authority that Jesus had. That, in other words, as the Father sent the Son into the world, now the Son is sending you and me, the church, into the world. And he says, that power that raised Christ from the dead, he said, now lives in you. And Paul wants you and I to know that. That's part of our inheritance. That's part of being a part of a child of God. You see, it's that Holy Spirit that, that gives us power for real life change. It's the Holy Spirit who, who teaches us, who convicts us who, of sin in our lives, who, who guides us into all truth, who, who brings forth the fruit of, of the Spirit in us and manifests the gifts of the Spirit through us, His body, the church. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power to be witnesses for Christ, even in the face of opposition. It is the Holy Spirit, Paul says, who gives us peace and joy. It is the Holy Spirit who is God in us. And all of us have this power. Paul is saying to us today, don't forget this power resides in you. We don't always know that. We don't always act like it. We don't live like it. Again, Jesus sends out the 12. And before they go, Luke says that he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure disease, to proclaim the gospel, heal the sick. 
Not long after that, Jesus is on a mountaintop with, with Peter and James and John, and he's transfigured, and Moses and Elijah, along dead, now appear and talk to Jesus. When they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, a man comes to Jesus, and, and he asks him to heal his son, who has seizures that seem to be connected to the presence of an evil spirit. And he had asked the disciples to do it, but, but they couldn't. Well, Jesus heals the boy, and later on the disciples come to Jesus in, in private, and they say, why couldn't we do that? You were able to do it. Why can't we? Why couldn't we drive the demon out? And Jesus replies with a stinging rebuke. And he says, because you have so little faith. If you had faith just the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would be done for you. And then he concludes by saying, nothing will be impossible for you. Faith is the key. Faith is the heart of it. And our faith grows as we come to know Christ better and better, as we get into his word, as we spend time with him. It's the second half of the gospel. <laughs> and Paul says that we can pray for wisdom, we can pray for revelation, and we need to have uh, to align our life with Christ. And as we grow in faith, it will begin to release that power. It will begin to release that authority in us. You see, God wants us to, to grow in our faith for a purpose, not just for us. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to understand this authority and this power so that we can help others, so we can be a part of changing our world to be used by God in a greater and greater way for Him and His kingdom. I want so much for you to experience that. I want you to understand that. I want you to, to receive that, that power. We had 11 of our young people today take that step into the journey of faith. What's the next step that you need to take? That wisdom, that revelation, that hope, that power that supernatural power he's talking about. You need more of that in your life. Paul says it's yours, an inheritance of being a child of God. Let's claim it. Let's live it. Let's pray. God, sometimes we walk uh, around on this planet unaware of your purpose for our life. And we walk around feeling defeated and powerless and hopeless and we see no future. But God, in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he reminds us we have a great future. We have an incredible inheritance that we have been gifted, God, with all that we need to serve you and to serve you faithfully and to serve you well. We want that, God. And whatever that next step is for us, give us the courage to say yes to that. Give us the courage to take that next step and to claim our rightful inheritance as a son and as a daughter of God the Almighty, we pray. Amen. Just a reminder, if you did not get the communion elements when you came in, and if you would like it, if you raise your hand, one of our ushers will bring it to you at this time. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. 
This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. For this is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And by your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, O honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Now let us pray that prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The body of Christ broken for us. The cup over which you give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. The body of Christ given for us. Amen. blood of Christ shed for us. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your Spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we pray. Amen.